we're glad to have them. We're glad to have all of you. Let's all stand if you can. If you're able to stand, take your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Colossians 3, 5. The Bible says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Father, as always, we praise you for who you are, and we thank you for your precious word. And we are privileged to know you have spoken to us through this word. Speak to our hearts today is all we can ask. Nothing more, nothing less, or nothing else. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Our topic for the last several weeks has been our new life in Christ. And to have a new life in Christ means that we are supernaturally changed into a new creation. God has worked in our lives. We have been given a brand new spirit, and quite literally, we've been given a brand new lease on life, a brand new start on life. And this idea of a new birth, it's not just a religious idea But my friend, it is a reality, it's a real miracle that's taken place in your life if you are a child of God. It is a miracle of God. Our new life in Christ is a life that God had intended from creation for us to live. A life that we we had before the fall, before sin, and before death entered into the world. And because we are in Christ, we are now restored to God's original intent for you and I, a life free from the curse, a life full of supernatural power, a life filled with the blessing of God, and a life that is now, thank God, connected to Him. What a privilege to be a child of God. What an honor to be a child of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, we have a promise there for God's people. Look what it says. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only and shall not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. It's interesting here. And Moses is using Hebrew expressions that signify that God's people have preeminence over other people. Those who belong to God, you're the head, not the tail. Those who belong to God, we're above, not below. Thank God we have preeminence. Amen. We are now in Christ Jesus. And because we know Him as our Savior, we are privileged to experience life to its fullness. And I want you to realize the unsaved person can never experience that kind of life until they come to Jesus Christ. It's available to those who are children of God. 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. The Bible says that he is, I'm sorry, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you realize, church, if you're a child of God, we are forever one spirit with the Lord. And the Bible said, God said, he will never, ever leave us. And now that we are in Christ and within our new spirit is the authority to carry out God's will on this earth. And God wants to live in the light of that. And by the way, as a child of God, when the Spirit of God moved into our life, we became an incredibly powerful being because the Spirit of God lives in us. Folks, we have the power to overcome sin. We have the power to live victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And as we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. You know why? Because the devil is no match against our God. He is no match against our God. Our new life in Christ, it's not a set of rules. It's not a set of behaviors that we now try to live up to. Because the bottom line is, on our own, we can never live up to them. And we have to realize we're not trying necessarily to become like Christ through our works. Because if you're born again, positionally, you are like Jesus. Now, folks, that's the truth, okay? That's the doctrine of the Scriptures. We have been justified by faith. We have been declared righteous just as Christ is righteous. Now, that's positionally. But as I realize that, as I take that to heart, and I believe that I'm now like Christ, that caused me to change the way I live. It causes my actions to change. In accordance to who I know I am. I am a child of the King. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. And because of that, now I'm not earning this. I'm declared that by faith in Christ. But now that I know that, the Bible says the day I got saved, there were some things in my life I need to get rid of. Now that's been a few years ago. And guess what? There's still some things in my life I need to get rid of if we're going to live like Christ lived. The context of Colossians 3, verse 5, the first 11 verses of that chapter encourages us as Christians to focus on godly spiritual things. That's what the Bible wants us to focus on. And those of us who are, <clears throat> excuse me, who are spiritually free, only because of our, of our faith in Christ, we should not live in the sins and the habits we used to have. Our lives need to be changing all for the glory of God. And it's interesting, in our text, we've read it several times over the last several weeks, Paul specifically speaks about certain sins Sexual immorality, jealousy, slander, lying, revenge, all of those things. And what's interesting, as we're going through each one of these one by one, I want you to understand, the Bible doesn't say to avoid them. The Bible says, if you're a child of God, we're to mortify them. We are to put 
those things to death. Those kind of behaviors of our former lifestyle should not be a part of our life now. We need to put them to death. Jesse spoke about getting outside these four walls. We're excited about that. But how many know these four walls don't make the church? It's me and you. The church worldwide. But there's a, there's a, there's a world who is lost. And they need to hear our message. And we're living in a time... It has been that way for some time now. A lot of the unsaved just don't come to church anymore. Folks, we need to go to them. But because we are united in Christ, all believers should act as people who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to live our lives that way. For, for the past few weeks, we've, we've been looking at some things to mortify, some things we need to put off. Again, whatever was a part of our earthly nature that wasn't honoring God, we are to put that old life away. We're to get rid of it. The first one we talked about was in verse 5. Paul said, mortify fornication. We spent a lot of time on that, but remember this, folks. As a child of God, one of the most wonderful, magnificent privileges, the Spirit of God now lives in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have to realize God redeemed us for righteous works, not for sin. So we've got to mortify fornication. We talked about that a lot. The second thing we looked at last week was uncleanness or impurity. Verse 5, Paul says, mortify uncleanness. Now what's interesting, every one of these characteristics, and uncleanness is no different, uh, it points to activities that were part of our lives before we knew Jesus Christ as our Savior. And Paul says, now that we're saved, none of these ought to be a part of our lives. And impurity uh, includes all kinds of sin and encompasses any kind of activity, any thought, any word, any action that simply does not conform to the will of God for our lives. And so the glory of the gospel, and hear me well, folks, the glory of the gospel, God can take what is impure and he can make it pure. God can take, the gospel can take what is unclean and can make it clean. Thank God we are washed to the word of God today. We are made pure. I want to focus on the third one this morning. That's inordinate affection. Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, mortify inordinate affection. When's the last time you used those two words together? Not very common in the dictionary. But God uses that phrase to highlight excessive passion that we might have for anything or people that would cause us to give that thing or people priority before God. How many know God wants first place in our life? God will not accept anything less. So an inordinate affection is an unhealthy, obsessive attachment, if I can say the word, to a person or a thing that manifests itself through an uncontrollable love. And folks, that can include any person or anything. Now, you and I as believers, we have been given a new life. And because of that, The Bible says we are to stop certain practices 
but we're also to focus on other practices that God wants to see in our lives. <clears throat> Let me remind you, our salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. You didn't hear what I said. Our salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. Amen. You can't earn it, you can't buy it. It's only by faith alone, through Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know the verses. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So yes, I'm saved by faith, alone in Christ alone. But now that I've been saved, now that I've got eternal life that I didn't earn, couldn't buy it, but only through Christ, now that I'm born again, the Bible says, I'm to seek to live a holy life before my God. I'm to seek to live a holy life before Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now remember, verse 5 tells us, we're to mortify our members upon the earth. And I like how Paul says it, because I want you to realize the command is very clear. In no uncertain terms, the Bible tells us not to let our body do whatever it wants. Amen. The Bible says we are to live by Christ's desires for our life. We're to live not to please ourselves, but to please our great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, in our text this morning... Paul calls out five specific sins which were to mortify in our physical bodies. And so it's interesting, when we, when I was unsaved, I didn't realize I was trapped by these sins. I couldn't break free. But because I've been saved by Christ, and if you've been saved by Christ, the Bible said we should no longer participate in those sins that trap unbelievers. We're to mortify them. We're to put them to death. And so part of that list is what we're focus, focusing on today, and that's inordinate affection. Again, we're speaking about inappropriate cravings, which will distract us from things above and lead us to commit sins of immorality or sins of impurity. And by the way, how many know that in God's eyes, sin is sin? Amen. Sin is sin. Now, most of you know I am not a Greek scholar. I've never took Greek in any kind of schooling or anything, but I do have a Greek dictionary. And I did look this word up in my Strong's Dictionary. And in the Greek, in order affection is one word. It's pathos. And it means, it can mean experience. It can mean misfortune. It could mean our emotions. It could mean condition. It could also mean to undergo suffering. But in our context, what Paul is speaking about today, he's talking about our passions and our emotions. Do I have any emotional people here today? I've heard somebody tell me before, well, I'm just not emotional. 
I'd love to be riding in the car with you. When you're second in line at that red light, and that light turns green, and the person in front doesn't move, I want to see how, I want to see how unemotional you are then. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We're all emotional people. We have passions. And, and by the way, that's how God created us. He created us with passions. God created us with, with emotions. And, and understand, everything God created was perfect until what? Sin came along. Until sin came along and marred, damaged our emotions and our passions. So when it comes, when we're speaking about emotion or about passions, that's not the problem. The problem is when our emotions and passions become excessive. Amen. That's the problem. The problem comes when we allow my, when I, when I allow or you allow my passions or my, my emotions to go way beyond normal limits. As I was putting this message together, I had to stop and write this down in my notes. So who says what is excessive or beyond normal? Who says that? Who tells us what is okay and not okay? Who says what is in, in, inside the, the, the barriers or the boundaries? Who says it's beyond normal? Are you ready? God says so. God says what's excessive. God says what is not normal. And I don't care what the world says. And I don't care what the church says. If it doesn't line up with God, what God says, let God be true. And every man a liar. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 26 and 27. For this reason. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Paul had spent the previous verses, just before verse 26 of Romans 1, and in those verses he describes in general terms What happens when people refuse to acknowledge the Word of God for a standard of practice? My friend, we need a a standard. And this is the standard. So in the previous verses, God reminds, I'm sorry, Paul reminds us that God displayed His anger from heaven against all kinds of sin and wicked people, those who try to suppress the truth by the way they live. 
And Paul says they, they, they knew the truth about God. In fact, people still should know because God has made it obvious. And Paul says, just look around you. Look at everything God has made. And even in those things, the Bible says they could see God's invisible qualities. They could see his eternal power. They could see his divine nature. And so Paul says, the bottom line is they have no excuse for not knowing God. They have absolutely no excuse for not knowing God. But the sad thing is, Paul says, they would not worship God as God. And they wouldn't even give him thanks. Wouldn't thank him for anything. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. We're on today, folks. And the result was, the Bible says their mind became dark. And their mind became confused. And even though they claimed to be wise, they're nothing more than fools. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They became fools. So God gave them up. God abandoned them. He abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And the Bible says because God gave them up, they did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. My friend, it's a sad day when people turn from their maker. When they turn from their maker and they begin to worship what's been made. And folks, we live in a time now people are really worshiping themselves. I'm the one that matters. I control my destiny. I have the right for this. I have the right for that. And I want you to realize this morning, throughout the history of our world, there have always been those willing to believe that human desires regulate themselves. In their mind, they have convinced themselves that whatever it is, if I enjoy doing it, it cannot be wrong. My friend, that smells like smoke. It's from the pit of hell. They believe that people would not really desire something, whatever it is, unless it was good for them. But for whatever reason, somehow... The fact that every person has violated that principle goes over their head. Now what's interesting, according to Scripture, the more blatant examples of evil 
are considered exceptions rather than the rule. So in their mind, they make every person an exception. And folks, I want to warn you this morning. Whenever our wants begin to rule our lives, whenever our desires begin to rule our lives, when our desires become our authority, we will soon become slaves to whatever comes down the pike because we give in to those desires. And the Bible's clear, folks. This is especially true, specifically true about immoral relations. When the desire for the true God is rejected, man will always raise up other gods. Always. When the desire for God is rejected, other desires will take control. So why? Why are these vile passions that Paul spoke about in Romans, the inordinate affection in Colossians, why are they the result? Why did it happen? Whenever people reject the authority of God's Word, when they refuse God, when they refuse his standards, when they are left to themselves, people become their own gods. We're in charge. Oh, we think we are. And when that happens, nothing is going to stop us from seeking to fulfill every one of our passions. We are out of control. We are beyond normal. And whenever sexual passion is out of control, it always leads to vile passions, and the results are destructive. I don't know if you noticed a moment ago when I read in Romans, when Paul said God gave them up, he also said their lifestyle was their due reward. So sad. So sad. Look again, Romans 1, verse 27, 27. For even their women exchange the natural use, what is against nature, the men leaving the natural use of the woman. So not only was shameful lust a result, and hear me well, and the Bible calls it a perversion. Perversions of sex became rampant. And by the way, God's plan, hear me well, God's plan for sexual relationship is His ideal for creation. God's way is the best way. There are no seconds or substitutes. God's way is the best way. 
We're living in a time when you hear people say, it's okay, whatever you do, as long as nobody gets hurt. How foolish can you be? How foolish can you be? Now, by the way, I was really hesitant to use the text I used as far as in Romans there because my goal is not to pick just on homosexuality. Because Paul addresses the behavior of homosexuality. He kind of sandwiches it, if you will, between two other major areas that he puts forward as evidence of how godless and wicked men have become. The first thing he talked about was sinful worship. And by the way, there is sinful worship. And I want you to understand, just as homosexuality is sin, so is sinful worship. But the third part, or the other part of the sandwich, is a whole list of personal and relational sins. Now remember, Paul wasn't saying to to use uh, homosexual practice to uh, be the barometer of your extent of sin. Paul says you have to understand, sin has brought chaos in every area of life. And so, don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. So the bottom line is, Paul says that the result of our shameful lies, no person, no relationship, no part of creation has been left untouched. It affects all of us. Now again, Paul is not trying to give us a hierarchy of sin. He's not saying here's the low one, here's the second, here's the third. He didn't say pagan worship on the bottom, then you have homosexuality. And then you have lesser sins. Jesse mentioned this morning about looking in the Bible, finding some verses, find one that talks about lesser sins. All have done what? Sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what the sin is, folks. Every sin grows out of human rebellion against God. Every sin. And the fact of sinfulness is much more important, much more pertinent than the discovery for to recognize a particular sin. Now again, get the facts. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And please understand, repentance and restoration will come a lot more quickly when we ask this question, what must I do to be saved? Rather than asking exactly how deep have I sinned, I haven't sinned as bad as so-and-so, or that group, or this group. That's not the question. The question is, what must I do to be saved? You know why? We were all sinners. Every one of us. So let me share some good news. 
The God of the universe. The God of the Bible. He is willing and able to receive anyone who comes to Him through faith. Comes to Him through faith. And I want you to realize, and sometimes we are wrong in our thinking, sin is more apparent because of communication today, but sin has always been rampant. Nothing's changed. What was true in Paul's day is true in our day. And again, the good news is, God does receive anyone who comes. But hear me well. Homosexual behavior is strictly forbidden in the Word of God. Leviticus 18.22 You should not lie with male, that's with a woman. It is an abomination. Now again, I I hesitate a little bit here this morning because when Paul wrote this letter, uh, he was writing from the city of Corinth. And if you know anything about the city of Corinth, it was infamous for deviant sexual behavior. And in that letter, Paul recognized that there, there were some believers there in Corinth who had been been converted out of a homosexual lifestyle. But also understand, in that same list, Paul included all kinds of sinners. Thieves, drunkards, greedy people, adulterers. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want to say today, no matter what the sin may be, and we're including homosexual sin, but God accepts no sin. God can forgive every sin, and He will. And I realize we're living in a time, especially in our culture, homosexuality is being accepted uh, in our world today. And by the way, have you noticed the world wants you to think it's normal? When God says it's not. But understand something, folks. Even some churches accept those kind of things. But here's what I want you to realize. Society, nor the church, sets the standard for God. His Word sets the standard. Now I want to say today, we're talking about passions that are gone beyond the limit. And certainly, we we can think of several of them. But understand... When we go beyond what God's Word says, it's not normal. 
And God does not accept that, and I do not have a right to express that. Now, by the way, remember, I said earlier, we've all got desires, we've got passions. God created us that way. And maybe this one may not be ours, we'll get someone somewhere else. But God never one time encourages us to fulfill our desire to the max. Not even normal ones. He must come first in our lives. And every desire, every passion that does not conform to the will of God, we need to get rid of it. We need to mortify it. And through Jesus Christ, God offers us freedom from our sins. And through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And now we have the power to overcome those desires in our life. Thank God for the Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter what your desire is. If it violates the law of God, we must control it. We must. Whether you're a homosexual, a liar, a murderer, a thief, whatever it is. And I know without a doubt we're not all tempted in the same way. But we have to recognize and we've got to defeat temptation. And in order to do that, folks, we've got to depend on God's help. On the Spirit of God. And whatever you do, please never, ever underestimate uh, the power of Satan to tempt you. Never underestimate the potential for serious harm if we give in to those temptations. If you haven't learned it by now, you need to learn it. Satan wants to make you doubt your true identity in Christ. And my friend, we serve a God who can, He will, Forgive all kinds of sin. Every one. So the key is we've got to surrender ourselves to the grace of God. Surrender ourselves to the mercy of God. Asking him, Lord, show me the way out of this sin. And bring me into the light of your glorious freedom and your love. Let's stand together. No matter what we're caught up in, that violates God's law, God's law, we're to mortify it, put it to death. God will give you the power to do that. And yes, it's true. You can come to Christ just as you are. If you confess your sins, repent of those sins, you will be saved. But my friend, don't tell me You can continue a lifestyle of sin no matter what it is. If God's word says it's wrong, it's wrong. We must repent and come to God. Father, right now, speak to our hearts. Help us each one to mortify the deeds of the flesh, whatever they may be. No one has the same temptation. We all deal with different ones. Help us to abide by your word. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.